It's once again my privilege to address you on the state of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Because of your good efforts, this annual task is one to which I look forward. It provides the opportunity to reflect on the past year and the many accomplishments we have achieved together. As a point of personal privilege, however, I want to emphatically deny that I am resigning from the university to pursue a career in reality television. <laughs> Nor will I be joining the concert tour of Motley Crue. I have no comment on the recent report that I've acquired a tattoo. As we are about to reflect on the remarkable progress we continue to make as a university and the optimism we have for its future, we cannot help but think of our academic colleagues displaced by Hurricane Katrina who face enormous challenges to rebuild their institutions, their lives, and their careers. I appreciate the efforts of so many of you who have worked to accommodate students from those institutions, numerous individuals and groups from across the university, students, faculty, and staff, are pursuing additional ways to provide assistance. The administration will do what it can to support those efforts. I invite you now to observe a moment of reflection for all of the persons displaced by this natural disaster. Today, I want to ask you to do three things. I want you to share the enormous pride I have for this university and what you have been able to accomplish. I want you to share my passion for continuing to move this university forward in all of its missions. And I want you to share my awe at the powerful nature of our work. For we transfer to students the power to improve the quality of their lives, and with them we have the power through our teaching our research, and our engagement to improve the lives of others and to influence the world. We should be proud of our accomplishments. We invested almost $500,000 to spark improvements in student learning, permitting faculty across the campus to pursue their ideas to advance our institutional mission. Each new entering class of students sets new records for academic quality, for geographic distribution, and for racial and ethnic diversity. And through receipt of national scholarships and through disciplinary competitions, our students increasingly demonstrate their ability to compete at the national level. Since 2000, externally funded research has doubled to nearly 100 million. NSF now ranks us 81st among the top recipients of federal grants and ahead of such regional comparators as Kansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma. At least we beat Oklahoma in something last year. And we continue to rejoice in the success of our colleague, Ted Kuser, winner of the Pulitzer Prize and now a second-term U.S. Poet Laureate. We continue to expand our engagement with Nebraskans. It is remarkable that Nebraska leads the country in per capita participation in 4-H programs, a tribute to the many university staff and faculty who administer that program. And we continue to make contributions to economic development and our quality of life, through the good work of Cooperative Extension, which is adjusting to the developing needs across Nebraska, through the outreach efforts of our other academic units, through our research in water and biofuels and in other areas of particular importance to Nebraska's economy, and through our efforts to commercialize the products of our research to build economic capacity in Nebraska. 
Internally, by completing the initial phase of strategic planning, we have positioned ourselves for more comprehensive and more sustained progress. While nothing at this university is accomplished without the involvement of many people, I hope you will indulge me a moment so that I might publicly acknowledge the people I interact with on a daily basis. This university is well served, as am I, by a senior administrative leadership team that is unselfishly focused on advancing this university. The vice chancellors and other members of the senior administrative team have contributed enormously to both our past accomplishments and our agenda for the future, and I am indebted to each of them for their energy and support. I want to specifically take this opportunity to thank Jim Greeson for his many contributions to the university. He has been at UNL since 1984, and when he retires from the vice chancellorship this July, he will have served for 20 years as vice chancellor for student affairs. He is not retiring from the university, but will rejoin the faculty. This university is deeply indebted to him. I don't know if you're in the audience, Jim, but if you will, stand, and we should recognize those accomplishments. After several years of fiscal restraint, we received the best budget for this next biennium that we've seen in many years. We're all grateful to Governor Dave Heinemann and our many friends in the legislature, as well as the efforts of J.B. Milliken, our new president, and the support of the Board of Regents. I believe, however, that these good results would not have been possible without your success in demonstrating the potential of this university to contribute to the well-being of Nebraska. I will again this year rely on a special edition of The Scarlet to record the many highlights from last year. Neither my voice nor your patience could do justice to a recitation here of the breadth of individual and unit accomplishments. Happily, we are expanding our mechanisms to celebrate these successes as they occur. But this year, I have a unique opportunity to symbolize our growing national reputation as a university. Representative of the outstanding talent of the faculty from a variety of disciplines we attract to the university this year, I am very pleased to introduce to the university community Rebecca Fisher, Julie Yoon, Jonah Sirota, and Gregory Beaver, the Kiara Quartet. These young artists are fresh from placing third in the world in the International String Quartet Competition in Italy, adding to many other accomplishments and awards. They have performed at Carnegie Hall and the Lincoln Center, from 2003 to 2005, they held the Lisa Arnold residency at the Juilliard School. They have now joined our faculty for three years as artists in residence. In this role, they will teach our students, contribute to the arts in Nebraska, and carry the banner of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln as they perform around the world. They graciously agreed to perform for us this morning, so as representative of the talent we are attracting across the university, Please help me welcome the Chiara Quartet performing Claude Dubasset's only string quartet, Opus 10. Due to technical difficulties, the performance of the Chiara String Quartet is unavailable in this recording. The Chiara String Quartet will perform in a Faculty Artist Series concert on Sunday, October 9 at 3 p.m. in Kimball Recital Hall on the UNL City campus. Sounded better. I'm losing interest in the rest of my speech. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed them for their intrinsic talent and as a reprieve from listening to me. To be fair to other disciplines, next year we will have a 10-minute demonstration of a regression analysis.
seriously, I, I hope you get the point. In every college in this university is attracting accomplished faculty, recruiting young faculty of extraordinary promise, and exploiting the considerable talent and expertise of our existing faculty. In every college, a dedicated staff is working hard to assist in those accomplishments. I have enormous pride that by the accident of circumstances, I am leading this university during a period of such sustained success. I invite you to share that pride and to broadcast it to those around you. We too often understate the significance of our accomplishments. As a state's only comprehensive research university with its land-grant tradition, we have a role to play in Nebraska. We have a role to play on the national scene. We have a role to play in the world. And we need not take a second seat to any university in doing so. Recognizing that we can never become content with our situation, the senior leadership has helped develop an ambitious campus agenda for next year, sparked by our strategic planning efforts. Peter Drucker once commented, plans are only good intentions unless they immediately degenerate into hard work. Or as Will Rogers said, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. <laughs> we are well positioned to make great strides and we should continue to do so passionately. There are numerous planned initiatives to further enhance our research and graduate studies as well as our engagement efforts. But this morning I will focus primarily on those efforts directed at teaching and undergraduate education. Our most immediate challenge is to stabilize our enrollment. Because of policy changes that I support, we are entering into a new era for this university in which the campus will directly benefit from enrollment increases and suffer from enrollment declines. This is a significant step that will impact the culture of the university as well as our policies and activities. As you saw from the announcement yesterday, our entering student enrollment has rebounded from last year, even though our total enrollment is down slightly. Even with increased numbers, entering students' average ACT scores increased to 24.9. The non-resident enrollment is now 22% of our entering class and the number of racial minorities in this class has increased by 25% to almost 10% of the class. We have a number of initiatives in place to examine our policies and practices to assure they are calibrated for this new environment. But in the end, our success rests largely in your hands. Recruitment and retention of students is everyone's responsibility and is in everyone's best interest. We should all applaud Dean Alan Cerbini and his admission staff, as well as the many faculty, staff, and administrators who gave extra effort last year to a beneficial effect. But we must incorporate into our daily activities a passion for attracting students and assuring their success. At the same time, in many ways, students are our products, not our customers. We will not serve their interests or our own if we lower our standards or reduce our rigor merely to attract them. I received a spam message recently that read, receive university education in two weeks, choose your degree, no studying required. <laughs> we must adhere to the commitment that the value of education is measured not by what it costs in dollars or personal effort or sacrifice in the short term, but rather by the enhanced economic prospects and quality of life one enjoys over a lifetime. Every day I see administrators, faculty, and staff going out of their way to help students achieve real success. We cannot be satisfied until every student believes that this is true in his or her case. Last year we launched a major strategic planning effort with deadlines that may have been more unrealistic than ambitious. 
but through the remarkable work of Senior Vice Chancellor Barbara Couture, Vice Chancellor John Owens, the academic deans, the chairs and heads of departments, and many faculty, we both constructed and implemented a planning process out of whole cloth. Because of that effort, we are now much better positioned to move forward. After review and involvement by many people, including those participating in public hearings, and after consideration of many excellent suggestions, I believe the following core values have been embraced by a vast majority of this community. We value the uncompromising pursuit of excellence. We value a diversity of ideas and people. We value a learning environment that prepares students for success and leadership in their lives and their careers. We value research and creative activity that informs teaching, fosters discovery, and contributes to economic prosperity and the quality of life in Nebraska. We value engagement with academic, business, and civic communities throughout Nebraska and the world. We value an institutional climate that challenges every member of the university to advance these core values and that celebrates their successes. Planning is not done for planning's sake. It should influence administrative and faculty decisions. In this sense, while we have made significant progress, much refinement remains necessary. The most critical step we now must take is to link our priorities to our resources. As Albert Einstein once remarked, vision without resources is fantasy. If priority setting is to be meaningful, it must connect to reasonably likely sources of revenue available to permit implementation. The potential sources are all too clear. Reallocation of our existing resources, additional state or tuition revenue, new revenue that we can generate by our own entrepreneurship, federal or private sponsorships, or private philanthropy. In this second phase of our planning effort, we will ask each unit to identify a realistic source of funds for each priority. In some instances, this may require them to tailor the proposals to enhance the likelihood of receiving funds. And we must explicitly focus on reallocation of existing resources from lower priority programs to higher ones. This year, non-academic programs, in addition to their internal planning activities, will be asked to indicate how they can best advance the academic priorities. While strategic planning is critical to our success, the worst thing we could do is believe that we have a strategic plan and we are constrained to rigidly follow it. Any institution, including ours, must be prepared to take advantage of unforeseen opportunities that present themselves, even if it is a departure or even if it detracts in some way from an existing plan. Obviously, no one will invest in a planning process that does not provide some guidance or direction, some restraint on ad hoc spontaneous decisions. So we need to find a balance to in some way acknowledge as part of our strategic plan that we are willing to take opportunistic risks as long as they are calculated and seem reasonably consistent with our direction and core values. As the pace of our world quickens, we will need to take more risks without the time for full deliberation and elaborate process. This need not become our modus operandi, but we should not shy from it if it seems right at the time. Accordingly, while we will routinely work with the strategic plans that are presented to us, we should also respond within core principles of shared governance to unique opportunities that advance the values of the university. Another critical aspect of our planning initiative is the revision of the campus master plan, which has engaged the participation and imagination of many faculty, students, and staff across the university. 
The beauty and arrangement of our physical environment is an important element of our success. And good physical facilities are a prerequisite to quality programs. Our critical need for additional physical space, both for teaching and research, is the single most important restraint we face in continuing our current momentum. We will need to better manage what we have, and we will need to work hard to find additional physical space. The 10-year reaccreditation process from the North Central Accrediting Agency is close upon us. During the coming year, we will need to complete a self-study and otherwise prepare for a site visit that will occur in November of 2006. I am pleased to report that we have reached an agreement with NCA that will permit us to conduct what is called a special emphasis accreditation, one that is available only to mature, already accredited institutions. Our special emphasis is to focus on our strategic planning process. The advantage of doing a special emphasis approach rather than a traditional accreditation approach includes that it places attention on what we are doing now to prepare for the future rather than a defense of what we've done in the past. It places the visiting team more in the role of a consultant and less in the role of an evaluator. And it enables us to place our energy on developing our strategic planning process as we prepare our self-study. Our intention, our best of intentions, is to write a self-study that people will actually want to read and that will communicate to our constituents what we are about. To do this, we will need the involvement from many people both to write our story and to strengthen our planning work. We are indebted to Jim O'Hanlon, who agreed to lead our accreditation preparation effort and who has been instrumental in obtaining approval for this non-traditional approach. The submitted academic strategic plans also contain diversity plans. We are seeing a significant increase in students of color, thanks in large measure to the hard work of our admissions staff with cooperation of representatives and academic departments. But this increase will put increased pressure on us to diversify our faculty and staff and to assure an environment in which diverse ideas and perspectives are freely offered and thoughtfully considered. I believe we have made good progress with respect to women faculty, although challenges remain. However, we continue to struggle to attract and to retain faculty of color. This is an issue that must be addressed, and it can only be addressed at the department level where faculty are hired and faculty are retained. At the campus level, we will be re revising the diversity plan to account for the input we receive from the academic units and exploring how the funds we have directed toward diversity may be more effectively employed. In the end, however, there is nothing short of hard work and commitment at the unit level required to achieve success. I urge all of you to renew and redouble your efforts to find qualified faculty of color, and where opportunities exist, I hope you will engage the rest of us to help take advantage of any opportunity. The Commission on the Status of Women has proposed a number of interesting ideas to make this campus more friendly to women and families, including a new employment status, active service, modified duties to account for family responsibilities. A task force has been appointed to consider the status and titles of faculty generally, and will consider this idea as well. I am also pleased to announce that through the combined and sustained efforts of the Academic Senate, the Chancellor's Commission, a special child care task force, and Vice Chancellor Chris Jackson, the university is in a position to issue a request for proposals seeking bids from outside child care agencies to operate and manage a university child care facility on campus. 
Private funds are available to remodel the North Whittier North building of the Whittier complex for this purpose. If we receive acceptable bids, we should be offering on campus child care by the fall of 2007. Ten years ago, I was completing my year as acting senior vice chancellor for academic affairs. Since that time, we've had four different chancellors. We have welcomed approximately 650 new faculty to our campus, and we have implemented new entrance requirements for admission to the university. Ten year, years ago, we also completed and implemented our general education program, known as the Comprehensive Education Program. Many individuals poured considerable effort and enthusiasm into its development, and its concept and its easy implementation elevated our undergraduate curriculum. While it did not meet all of the objectives hoped for, it did create opportunities for students to expand their horizons by taking a variety of disciplines and to work on skills thought critical for a life of learning. It is now time to revisit that program. A liberal education is central to a learning environment that prepares students for success and leadership in their lives and their careers, one of our core values. During the last several years, there has been considerable national conversation about how best to provide a liberal education, and the University of Nebraska should benefit from that conversation. Our existing program has never been comprehensively assessed to determine if it in fact is meeting its objectives. A curriculum that now braces 2,300 courses, some accepted by some colleges but not by others, can neither be said to be general or to be one with easily identifiable goals and objectives. This complexity also is a barrier to students enrolling at the university, particularly students who seek to transfer here from other universities or for community and junior colleges. The Academic Senate during the last two years has sought to reform the program at the margins. It was a good effort. At the initiative of Vice Chancellor Couture and Undergraduate Studies Dean Rita Keene, a small group of individuals, including the then President of the Academic Senate, attended a national conference and has given thought to how we might approach what would be a significant curricular change. They have developed a thoughtful and sensible proposal for moving forward. The proposal suggests there are several key characteristics that a sound general education program should embody. It should be elegant, simple, and transparent to students, faculty, and advisors. It should have a clear objective, one that is widely understood and is consistent with the mission and core values of the university. It should be integrated with and reinforced within majors and should be constructed so that it satisfies the graduation requirements of all the undergraduate colleges. It should accommodate the progress of the full range of undergraduate students who enter the university from different sources, at different times, and with different objectives. And it should be seen to enhance, to add value to the undergraduate experience. To fashion a program with these characteristics, we must identify the specific learning outcomes that we believe essential. We must establish a set of structural criteria for general education courses that assure their acceptability. We must establish a framework and the initial set of courses and experiences that meet the structure and advance those learning outcomes. And most importantly, we must establish and assign responsibility for the ongoing management and assessment of general education. This process will require the participation and engagement of representatives from across the campus. We have established a general planning team as well as a broadly representative advisory council. I am delighted that John Janovey, Jr., the Paula and D.B. Varner Professor of Biological Sciences, will chair this effort. Wide consultation with students, faculty, and other groups will be a part of the process. 
We will need forbearance and understanding. I do not underestimate the difficulty of curricular change. I would, in fact, not launch this process unless I thought it was critical to the future advancement of the university, both to enhance the quality and coherence of the education we provide and to enhance the recruitment and retention through graduation of a student body that matches our goals and aspirations as a university. We will not, in the end, have a perfect proposal. But as General George Patton almost said, a good plan passionately executed now is better than a perfect plan next week. The issues of general education have been debated since universities have been established, from conversations with Socrates to the great books programs of Robert Hutchins at the University of Chicago to our own version. In the end, not everyone will be 100% satisfied. But I believe there is ample ground to approve upon what we have. If we can develop an acceptable initial program with management and assessment support, our program can evolve over time, not as in the past by accretion and accident, but by thoughtful and cohesive refinement. This effort will not be regarded as successful until it is adopted in every undergraduate college. The time frame here is ambitious, but we need to get it done. We must set as our goal to have a program that can be adopted in the spring of 2007 with a staged implementation beginning with the class that enters the university in the fall of 2007. We are counting on faculty to take a thoughtful and active interest in this process from the outset so that we can achieve this goal with adequate opportunity for reflection and approval. We should also consider whether it's time for this university to offer a degree in general studies. Many of our peer institutions have moved in that direction. Such a degree program would respond to the needs of many of our students who either purposely seek a general education or want to keep their options open. We currently have too many students who remain in general studies unfocused for too long in their academic career. We need to look at two complementary possibilities. First, encourage or indeed require that students make a choice sufficiently early in their career to assure a reasonable prospect for graduation. And second, open up the option of a degree in general studies one that could provide more structure than we currently have to assure students receive the quality of educational experience we think necessary. There is, of course, a fine line here. We should applaud the curiosity of the student who enjoys grazing the offerings on our buffet of courses. But we do not serve well the student who never enjoys the satisfaction of eating a full meal, even if for no other reason than the experience of doing so. I was very pleased last year to see the response from the faculty to our initiative on teaching and advising. The University of Nebraska Foundation Grants Committee allocated almost $500,000 to this project last year. We have high expectations for the projects that we funded. This year, the Grants Committee has allocated another $285,000 towards this effort. We have decided to place a special emphasis on improving and refining undergraduate advising. While some advising on campus is very good, we have other opportunities to help young people fashion their future. We should draw on our internal expertise as well as seeking outside advice in reviewing this activity. Across all missions, collaboration among disciplines is increasingly essential for success. The press of other issues delayed a proposal I made last year to examine the structure of the university as it supports or detracts from interdisciplinary work. We now have a task force in place to consider issues such as the management of joint appointments, the appropriateness of our current tenure clock to interdisciplinary work, 
and other features of our administration that might serve to make such activities more difficult. Much recently has been written on the subject, including a very helpful book of best practices from the National Academy of Sciences. During the course of our strategic planning efforts, it became clear that a process that focused on departments and colleges presents challenges for interdisciplinary programs to achieve consideration or priority. As deans made formal presentations of their priorities to each other, several collaborative possibilities emerged. In addition to the deans themselves pursuing, pursuing these opportunities, we have invited the Academic Planning Committee to review the unit strategic plans for the express purpose of identifying areas where we might capture the synergies of collaboration. We will also invite the APC to consider the broader question of how to assure our strategic planning process facilitates collaborative initiatives. In each of the past years of the State of the University Address, I have mentioned the need to bring more coherence and harmony to our efforts to communicate the strength and accomplishments of the university to our external constituents. I challenged us to move toward a single voice that would be loud enough to compete with the single and effective voice that promotes our athletic programs. We all know that we have the content that needs to be heard. Across the university, there are achievements of international significance and activities that enrich and promote the quality of life and economic progress in Nebraska and around the world. The accomplishments of individuals and units would not be achievable without the support of the university, and the accumulated impact of the accomplishments is diminished unless connected to each other. To do this, we must make clear both in the text of our publications and in their look and feel that they are products of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We have a single logo and tagline for the University of Nebraska system. For UNL, we have adopted within the framework of that logo the academic N as our official icon and red as our distinctive color. Over the last years, working collaboratively with those responsible for communications in the various units, University Communications, under the direction of Meg Lowerman, has produced a design toolbox for publications that permit individual creativity within a, with an overall look and feel that reflects the university. More than 180 individuals have been trained to use that toolbox. The web continues to evolve through the coordinated efforts of university-wide web developers network. Those working on publications and web pages outside of the guidance of these forums do no favor to themselves or to the university in our efforts to build a cohesive image as we present ourselves to the world. I want to applaud the vast majority of you who have worked with us and are currently working within our framework to make our communications more uniform. You can see on a daily basis the results of your cooperation and good work. There remain, however, too many non-conforming publications that diminish the efforts of the rest of you. It is painful, yes, painful, to see the number of Notre Dame green, Kansas blue, and Texas burnt orange publications that emanate from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Accordingly, I intend to take increasingly stronger measures to assure compliance with the guidelines that so many of you have already embraced. I will be honest. We don't have the personnel required to effectively screen publications prior to their distribution. However, beginning October 1, we will deal directly with units who are responsible for non-complying publications that come to our attention. 
If I did not think this was so critical to our success, I would not be inclined to state my feelings so strongly. But I know how really good this university is, and I want an effective process in place to let others know that as well. Before I conclude and answer questions, I want to thank Channel 21, KRNU, and NET for making this program available to a wider audience, the Chiara Quartet for its participation, the hardworking sign language interpreters, Nancy Burt and Kelly Brackenhoff, and UNL Dining Services and its vendors for making the picnic possible. I should add, I told them not to start serving food until we got there. <laughs> A special thanks to TIA CREF, which is sponsoring the dessert booth and handing out M-pins to those who don't have one, making it possible for you to display your pride in what we have collectively accomplished. Finally, I firmly believe no president or chancellor has any, of any major university has had greater support from his or her faculty and staff or is better served by his or her immediate staff than I. It is for me a daily wonder at how well we are doing given the challenges we have faced. I hope that each of you takes a full measure of pride in what you have accomplished. I hope that each of you will engage passionately in the important work before us. I hope that each of you will use wisely the power we have been provided, the power to give young people the skills, the experiences, and the perspectives to make their way in the world and to advance the frontiers of knowledge and service of our state and country. In short, I invite you to share in full measure the pride, the passion, and the power of red. Thank you. <laughs>